want to set a scene for you. Eight-year-old little Ben, uh, as Joseph was saying, a lot smaller, um, shorter-wise, not really round-wise, takes off to Buddy and Linda's, better known as Granny and Paul's house, next-door neighbors, eight years old, run across the yard. I run in the front door, Paul's in his pink recliner, feet up. I start running towards him, he throws his feet down, preparing for me to jump onto his arms. Eight-year-old, hefty little Ben. Right before I get to him, he throws up his feet, stops me in his tracks, I hop onto his lap. I yell at Granny, I say, hey Granny, what type of little Debbies do you have today? And she named off three or four. And I said, hey, I want a zebra cake. So she brings me a zebra cake, but he said, hey, what do you got again there, Linda? And she names off three or four, and he says, sure, sounds good. So she brings all four to him. And we sit there in the chair, and he turns on the television, and we watch Unwrapped on Food Network. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. But what better way to eat a Little Debbie than to discover how Little Debbie is made? Fast forward a few more years, 13-year-old Ben sitting on the couch at home, watching a television show called How It's Made. And in this show, you're not discovering your favorite candy snack treats and how they're made. You're discovering how lawnmowers and uh, utility uh, appliances are made and different things that have gears and moving parts that are very intricate in their detail. Fast forward a little bit further. There's this curiosity that continues to run in my mind about how things work and how they're shaped and how they move together. And I come across this article that talks about this air monitoring station atop of a California mountain. And this air monitoring station has picked up particles that have came from across the Pacific Ocean from coal fire energy plants that have developed in China. They've traveled five to ten days and have landed in California. And research says that within a few years, California, one-third of the pollution there will be because of growing economies in other nations. And, and as I think about this, and I think about the connections as a childhood that I've fantasized how things work together, I see in reality that it's not just a small machine, and it's not just a favorite treat that I get to enjoy with my grandfather when I was growing up that has connections and moving parts. But it's the entire world that is really connected together. That you cannot do anything without it having a cause and it having an effect in this world. And I think on the grand scheme of about how the entire world is connected, but I'm reminded that there's a smaller connection too within the church. And I think about this grand connection, and you think of the connectivity that we have in the world, and it seems like there's chaos. Just right down the street in Dixon County, uh, this week, this past week, there's been chaos because of connections and relationships. You think about the school shootings that have happened just this year within our nation, and because of relationships, the chaos that has happened. You think about marriages and divorces that, have, that are rising, and actually people that aren't even getting married anymore, and how there is chaos and, ca- and connectivity. But then I look inside of the church, and I see how a group of 200, 300 people can come together, and there be peace. And from a world's perspective, it's like, how in the world can there be peace among 300 I open up my Bible, and to no surprise, I figure out that God has given us the recipe for peace within the church. And this morning, this afternoon, I want us to look at a puzzling peace that happens within the church. So you should have a handout. On that handout, I want to explain something. On the back side of that handout is something called a table talk. 
Now, table talk is, a, is an idea that I picked up from reading a book about youth and family ministry called Shift. Table talk is for you to go home and have an intentional faith talk with your family some point during this week. It's to help you take the lesson today and to break it down over a mealtime with your family so that you can, as parents, intentionally plant faith in your kids. That's a Deuteronomy 6 type of youth ministry where the parents are forming faith in their children. So I just want to make you aware of that, that that is there for you to use, and I'm trying my best to equip you uh, this afternoon with some tools to help you form faith in your children or in your family and your relationships uh, with your husband or with your wife. Let's dig into our text together. Romans chapter 12, beginning there in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Here we read Paul writing to the, to the congregations in Rome. And the first thing he says about this puzzling peace within the church is that I must first be reforming my own peace. I must be reforming my own peace. For my relationships within the church to be right, for my relationships to be holy within the church and among her members, my relationship with the head of the church must first be right. I must have peace within my soul before God. And Paul tells us the first thing for this to happen is that the past transforms our present. The past transforms our present. How does he say this? If you're just reading over it, you're going to miss it. He says the first four words are so powerful. I beseech you, therefore. Now, you might think there's nothing there, but I promise you there is a whole lot that we could spend an hour talking about in those four words. You have to go all the way back to A.D. 49. A.D. 49, there's this emperor in Rome. His name is Claudius. And he has this edict because there's this uproar between the Jews and the, Rome, and, uh, the Gentiles. And, and because of this big fight that's happened over this man named Christus, Claudius kicks the Jews out of Rome. He says, I don't want you here. Well, fast forward five years later, Claudius dies in A.D. 54, and the Jews come back. Therefore, you have this, this situation within the church where you have two sides. You've got the Gentiles over here and you have the Jews over here. And the Jews are over there and they're mad at the Gentiles because the Jews have been gone for five years and the church is going to continue doing what the church does. There's going to be leaders that step up. There's going to be deacons. There's going to be elders. There's going to be ministers. And guess who used to be in those positions? The Jews. Guess who's in them now? The Gentiles. Guess who feels as if they are entitled uh, children of God? The Jews. You see the problem? There's this pride issue going on. And Paul says, I beseech you, therefore. The therefore tells you that we must go back and look why therefore, or what therefore is therefore. So if you go back to Romans 1, Paul is basically looking at the Jews and he says, hey, guess what? Those Gentiles that are sitting over there that you hate, they are sinful, nasty, and disgusting, and God gave them over to their sin, and they are worthless. But then he continues to look at the Jews and in chapter 2 of Romans, he says, but so are you. You're sinful, and you're gross, and you're disgusting, and you're not deserving of God. Paul levels the playing field. He says, I beseech you, therefore, get over yourselves. 
That's what Paul's saying. He says, put the pride behind you because it comes to this climax in Romans chapter 3. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we are all in need of the blood of Christ. So, in reforming my peace, Paul says the past, the mercies of God that we're about to look at, the mercies of God must transform me. The past of the cross. I've got to get over myself. I've got to get over my pride. And I've got to focus on the cross, what I have in common with my brothers and sisters to make sure that I am right with the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, listen up. Pay close attention. Because everything that I have told you in the past about the cross is coming to this climax. He says, brethren. He again unites them. He says, listen, we're all on the same team. He says, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God being the cross. And the justification that is found in Jesus Christ. And the mercy and the grace that God has so freely given us. And he says, it must change our present. And what does our present look like there in verse 1? A living sacrifice. He says that our present is to be a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that's not dying. That we don't have to offer once a year. Because Christ gave of Himself. In Romans chapter 5, 18-19, we see that because of Christ, we don't have to offer this sacrifice over and over and over again, but Christ's sacrifice did it all for us. Therefore, we are to be a living sacrifice. That happens by denying ourselves. Dying to ourselves on a daily basis, as the Lord Himself would say in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that if anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and do what? Carry his cross daily. And then also in 1 Peter 1, 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. In Christ, we are not ignorant. We have life, and we are to be living sacrifices. And in being living sacrifices, it changes our present to be holy and acceptable. Because if you continue reading there in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, you'll read, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your what? Conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you'll notice, this is our reasonable service. It's not an over-the-top service. It's not um, asking too much service. It's expected service. And it's a reasonable service. Our past, the past, transforms our present. And our present motivates our future. Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Paul is just not simply saying, hey, if you would like to, don't transform to the world. Paul is commanding them, if you want to be a Christian, don't be like the world, but be transformed. It's not a statement, it's not a suggestion, it is a commandment that we are to be different from the world. To let our present state as a living sacrifice to motivate our future self. And that comes by the means of renewing our minds daily. Every morning, we should wake up and we should say, I'm going to live for Christ today. Every morning, I should wake up and reflect on the past of the cross and let that motivate who I'm going to be the rest of the day. And Paul puts it in perspective in verse 3. Read it again with me. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul says, don't ever think that you're saved because of you. Never think 
that you've arrived. Never think that it's because of you that you're going to have eternal life. It's only because of God and what He has done. Reforming my peace allows the past to change my present, and our present motivates our future. And in doing so, as we move on and how we allow this reformed peace within me to affect my relationships within the church, it starts by receiving my peace. Notice P-I-E-C-E. My piece of the puzzle. The church is a, is a puzzling piece of how everything forms together, but it's only because, guess who's not in charge? People. We're not in charge. God's in charge, and that's why there's peace. So let's read verses 4 through 8 together. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So what about receiving my peace? Each of you uh, this afternoon, whenever you came in, should have received a piece of the puzzle. I want you to get your piece out. If you have a puzzle piece, I have mine in my pocket. Now what's interesting is that everybody's piece forms into the same puzzle. And this is my particular piece. I want you to look at your piece. And as we continue, this is an ongoing illustration, I want you to think of your piece as your part of the puzzle. And if we were to take all of our pieces and put them together, that would be the church. That all the pieces fit together to form what God has intended to be the church. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through these things. The first thing that we need to receive and that we need to look at from these verses comes right off the bat in verse 4. For as we have many members, the church is made up of many members. There's a plurality of pieces. Look at your piece. Everybody hold up your piece if you have one. Now I want you to look around. Now notice there's not one single person that they alone are holding their hand up. What does that tell me? We need each other to be the church. To be the church and to be what God wants us to be, we need each other to be the church. The church is made up locally. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, we'll see that Paul is specifically writing to the church in Corinth. It reads, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So a church can be here, but the church is also universal. So just as much as we need each other here at Winchester, the church that is in Winchester needs the church that is in Henderson, and the church that is in Henderson needs the church that is in Winchester, and the church that is in Winchester needs the church that is in Savannah, because the church is also universal, as we read in Ephesians 1.22, that God, He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him, being Christ, as head over all things to the church. So the church is local and the church is universal. And along with a plurality of pieces, it's important to know that each member has an important piece of the puzzle. To play. You'll read there in verse 4 again that all members do not have the same function. No one has the same function. Look at your piece again. Now I want you to look at your neighbor's piece. 
Do you notice anything different? I hope that you see something different because if you don't, we have a problem. All the pieces are different and it's okay. If all of the pieces look like my piece, guess what we would not have? A puzzle, a finished puzzle. We would never get the finished puzzle. See, in relation to this, Paul writes to the Corinthian church quite honestly the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning there in verse 12 through 27. He makes this analogy that the church is like a body and that, that the body is made up of many members, but all the members need each other. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we don't really know where we fit and sometimes we're not confident in why we're there. But I want you to notice that if one member is lacking, is the body really the body? If, if I'm missing my arm, it's going to be a lot harder for me to get ready in the morning. If, if I'm missing my big toe, it's going to be a lot harder for me to stay balanced. If I'm missing my leg hair, some of you ladies can probably help me in the winter months, I'll probably get, what, a lot colder, right? You can laugh, that's okay. Everything is important. From the simplest thing on the body to the most complex in the heart and the brain. Everyone is needed and you're not supposed to do the same thing. Not everybody has to be like Joseph and gets up and preaches every Sunday. Not everybody has to be the one that stands back and is the most friendliest person. No one has to be like Alex Currington and connect to a rock. You have to do your part and that's okay. And, and one of the last things about the plurality of pieces, is that the pieces are connected together. Look at your piece one more time. My piece has, has two inward spots and has two outward spots. Your piece is made to connect to at least two other pieces. God has so designed the church that the members of the church are members of one another, that we are made to connect to each other. Connections create the church only through the blood of Christ. In doing so, we are unified. In doing so, we are stronger through our connections and through our relationships. In verse 5, the beginning of verse 5 tells us that it is the blood of Christ that connects us. So there's a plurality of pieces when receiving my peace. The second thing is that we are purposefully planned. We are purposefully planned. Notice verse 6. This is so powerful. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Did you notice that? How did you receive your piece of the puzzle? According to what? Grace. It's not according to what I think it should be. It's not according to what you think it should be. It's according to what God has purposefully planned my piece of the puzzle to be. It's according to His grace. Now this can be exemplified if you look at Matthew 25, 14-30, you'll see the parable of the talents. The men that received the talents, guess what they did not do? Choose their talents. They simply received them. And it was up to them to do something with it. It can be more exemplified if you look at the life of Moses in Acts chapter 7, 17-36. You'll notice something really special about Moses' life. At age 40, he grew up until age 40 in, the, in Pharaoh's household. And at age 40, he supposed it was the will of God for him to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. 
That's, that's what Stephen says, that he supposed it was the will of God for him to take them out of Egypt. But guess what? The children of Israel were not ready to happen for Moses to lead them. So what does Moses do after killing uh, the Egyptian? He runs off into the wilderness for how long? Forty years. So after 40 years, God appears to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I'm ready to use you. I'm ready for you to go into Pharaoh's house. Why Moses? Because he spent 40 years there, right? No one knows how to approach Pharaoh better than Moses. He says, I want you to lead him out into the wilderness for how long? Forty years. Guess how long Moses just got out of the wilderness? Forty years. Coincidence? I don't think. I don't think so. God knows what he's doing, and he has purposefully planned our peace to fit into the puzzle of the church. And along with that, we are perfectly placed within the puzzle. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 19 reads, But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? This afternoon, I want you to know, you are not a mistake. You belong here. You are needed here. And the church would not be what God has planned, God intends, and God has placed it to be if you are not here. You are purposefully planned and you are perfectly placed within the church. In the business world, there's a saying that everyone is replaceable. That anybody can be replaced. That statement belongs nowhere within the church. Because you are not replaceable. Even if you're the leg hair, even if you're the pinky toe, wherever you find yourself in the body of Christ, you are needed. You're needed. But you can't just be perfectly placed. You can't just be purposefully planned unless you powerfully plug in. You have to powerfully plug in. Notice these verses. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Whatever your piece of the puzzle is, powerfully plug in to the puzzle. Have you ever been working on a puzzle and you got down to the very last piece and you noticed it was missing? What's that feeling? Like of despair and hopelessness, right? It's like, man, I've been spending like four hours on this puzzle and now it's gone. Megan and I were working on a puzzle one time. And we got down after about three hours of working on this puzzle, spending so much time and effort on it, and the centerpiece was missing. So we searched under the table, we searched in the room, we searched outside of the room, we searched everywhere. Lo and behold, my dad happily walks up pulls out of his pocket the last piece of the puzzle and places it in. He had a piece of the puzzle. And without the piece there, the puzzle was incomplete. And though I was a little upset at my dad because he had the last piece, you know what he didn't do? He didn't keep it and not tell me about it. He powerfully placed it into the puzzle, completing it. We each have a piece of the puzzle And it's up to us. If it's ministry, let us minister. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy. If it's to serve, let us serve. If it's to take out the garbage, take out the garbage. If it's to greet people as they walk in and make them feel like they're on top of the world, make them feel like they're a king. And show them who the king is. 
we each have a part because there's this puzzling piece. And if we don't bring what we have to the table and powerfully place it in, we're not who God has planned and placed us to be. And, and as we think about this, just real quickly, one, don't be the piece that's missing. Don't let yourself be the piece that's missing from the puzzle. And two, if you know there's a piece missing, go find the piece. Go find the piece and help them plug in. So how does all this come full circle? How does reforming my piece and how does receiving my piece come full circle? Well, Paul tells us, how do I reflect my peace through my peace? I just simply want to read this. There, there's no need to really expand on this because Paul is plain and simple on what he wants the congregations there in Rome to do. And I believe we should let the Holy Spirit speak to us the same way. Simply listen. Don't write. Don't, don't do anything but listen right now. This is how I reflect my peace through my peace. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. If I could sum it up in this and how we reflect my peace through my peace, it's live a life of love. Live a life of love. Love God, love the church, love her people, and love sinners. And it's live a life of service. Serve God, serve the church, serve her people, and serve sinners. And in doing so, we will be able to reflect my peace through my peace. So in conclusion, you might be asking the same question that I am. How in the world does this apply to me? How, how does this make a difference in my life? Well, I want to challenge you in a few ways. And these are specific challenges, so maybe write them down and try to fulfill them this week. When I'm trying to reform my peace, when I'm trying to reform my peace, I might need to ask the question, what do I need to increase in my life this week? What do I need to decrease in my life this week? What do I need to add in my life this week? And what do I need to take away from my life this week to be a living sacrifice? What do I need to spend more time doing? What do I need to spend less time doing? What should I add and what should I take away from my week to be a living sacrifice for God? And when receiving my peace, some of us here this afternoon might not even know what my peace is. You might be saying, I want to serve, but I don't know where to serve. That's what the shape test for is for. Each of you should have something uh, that looks similar to this. It's black and white, though. But it should look something like this. It's a shape test. And what shape stands for is spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. If you'll take this seriously and take five to ten minutes to fill it out, it will help you maybe understand where your heart and your service should be for God. It's not going to tell you what you should do, that you should be the one that greets people or that you should be the one that takes out the trash can. That's not what it's going to tell you to do. But it will allow you to open your eyes to say, hey, maybe I can serve in this way. So take some time and fill that out 
to figuring out where you can powerfully plug in to the church here in Winchester. And then along with that, maybe you're aware of your gifts, but you're not plugged into the church or other members of the church. I challenge you to take time the rest of this week to powerfully plug in to other members of the church and to the church in general. Maybe it's having someone over for dinner. Maybe it's writing an encouraging card. Like this morning we talked about investing in people. Young people invest into the older people. Older people invest into younger people. Invest into the same people your same age. It happens when we powerfully plug in. And when it comes to reflecting my peace through my peace, I want to give you three powerful challenges uh, to take away with you this afternoon. Look for one way this upcoming week to honor someone in this body. That might be having them over for a meal, might be riding that car that we just talked about, but look for one way this upcoming week to honor another member of this body. This month, I challenge you to look for a way to love without hypocrisy, to look for a way to cling to what is good, and to look for a way to hate the evil. And then thirdly, for the rest of this year, I know this is a big challenge, but for the rest of this year, remain humble. Take the pride away and look for opportunities to weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, pray with those who are praying, and grow with those who are growing. Let's be the church together because we're connected and we need each other. And if we don't powerfully plug in, we're not who God has purposely planned and perfectly placed us to be. If you're here this afternoon, um, we want to offer the invitation again. Maybe the, the Lord has spoken to you, uh, that you have heard this message from His Word, and, and you feel like you're ready to place your piece into the puzzle. Don't hold back. Or maybe you're ready to pick up your piece and be buried with Christ in baptism. There's no better way to end this afternoon, this great day, and having a new brother or sister in Christ. Whatever your need is, let it be known as we stand, as we sing.